Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome everyone. My name is Megan. I am a mother of two and a certified Montessori lower elementary teacher ages six to nine. I am here with Laura, mother of one with her Montessori certification in lower and upper elementary ages six to 12. And we are here to share in for today. And it's a little bit confusing. Let me explain. (laughs) Laura and I are here to share about our week and separately we are going to be interviewing Gabrielle from Multilingual Montessori, me and Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) By we, I mean me and someone completely different. (laughs) So, okay, here's how it went down. Last week, Rachel and I recorded with Gabrielle. Now we are recording our introductions and confessions, Laura and I. So you get to talk to everyone, but it's like you're traveling in time. Ooh. Ooh. Have I made any? I like that. Yeah. Do you think I've confused everyone? Um, I think you probably had everyone until you said they were traveling in time. I think that might have been a trippy extra layer <laughs> to add to it. to the future. <laughs> or the past. Yeah. So basically, Megan and Rachel recorded an interview that I have had the pleasure of, I'm, I've been listening to it as I'm editing it. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. I'm not even finished yet. I'm excited to finish it. But what they did not do at the time to be respectful of everybody's time, especially our guest, was the whole intro Sharon and a little wrap-up confession section. So that is why we are circling back separately to do that. Weird plot twist. Rachel is on a big family trip right now. So instead of it being Megan and Rachel, it's Megan and Laura. So like she said, you're going to hear from a little bit of everybody today. And a lot from me. Yeah, a lot love from Megan. You're welcome. So let's get let's get to it. What do you want to share? How was your week? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. No, not really. I am actually, okay, I will. I am finished with my in-person summer training for my primary Montessori certification, and that is kind of a big it's a big thing and actually yeah. We've had some people reach out about our episode Strugglehood. Yeah, we have. And I re re listened to it because so many people had reached out saying that they enjoyed it and related to it. And I was like, what did we say? (laughs) I don't remember. (laughs) And my whole thing was about how I wasn't sure what I needed to feel like myself again or putting myself first and also letting other people kind of take on some of the load that I have been carrying. And I realized that through this training, like I chose 
to do something for me and to make myself feel, I don't know, like I'm, I feel like I, I chose something that was going to be just for me and that was going to fulfill me and challenge me. And it definitely did. And it was really difficult for my husband and he took time off of work and we had family come out and watch the kids so I could do those five weeks in person. And I just listening back, I was like, I did it. Like I did the thing I said I was going to do. I said I was going to do something for me and I did it and the whole world didn't fall apart and my kids are fine. I'm fine. My family's fine. And I got to have a really wonderful experience. So I'm really excited that I chose that. That's awesome. It Also, is it just me or did that go really quickly? It, it did go by really quickly, but it was definitely, and I know you've been through this experience where it's really long, it's really intense, and you go through so much information in those five weeks. But it's really interesting and it's things that I love. And so I was like hanging on to every word and every sentence and every material. So yeah, it was just really reinvigorating for me. And I'm really excited. I have a whole year ahead of me still, but it was a wonderful experience and I'm excited to be done all at the same time. Yeah. I remember that mixture of emotions quite well from my training, but yeah, that's, that's awesome. I'm super proud of you. I'm really excited to learn from you. I mean, we are like, before we know it, going to be right in that chunk of this first plane. Guys, I'm so smart now. I bet. <laughs> I can see it. I'm looking at you and I'm like, she looks smarter. Does my head look bigger? I need new headphones because- You're busting off of your head right now, big brain. Got that big brain energy. Yeah. Um, that's great. And I- I need to go back and listen to that episode myself. But as everybody is aware that that has been listening and following along our journeys, I also made a huge, huge change this year when I decided to leave classroom teaching. And I have officially over the last couple of weeks started my new role with Mama Stay Fit. Cannot, cannot brag on them enough. If you're not already familiar with Gina and Roxanne and Mama Stay Fit, please go to Instagram right now look them up. Maybe I can put them in the show notes just in case anybody's interested. If you're a mother, you need to know about these guys. I don't think we have show notes. <laughs> I don't. Well, I guess by show notes, I mean like the blurb that comes up yeah. when you like click on the episode. I think I can link things there. So I'm going to okay. put a little link in the blurb if y'all so know have what I'm notes. talking about. Yeah. It has like a little you know paragraph about what the episode's about. We like professionals. <laughs> anyway. So I, I am interested to know, I've been dying to know, how has your kind of – so it's like August and normally that's like Sunday night for yeah, teachers. big time Sunday scaries in August. <laughs> how, how are you feeling? Like this is the first time you're not going back to school. How is working from home? How are you doing? So it's interesting that you mentioned that because I do feel like I'm kind of split down the middle between this like celebration of this new life and this new role and a little bit of mourning. An era has ended for me. But yeah, just kind of realizing that like my summer breaks, as I know them, are no longer a thing, right? Like I no longer have from the beginning of June all the way until like mid to the end of August completely to myself. And I know a lot of teachers don't get that anyway. Like a lot of teachers have to have a summer hustle. A lot of us work summer camps. Um, a lot of us are just, you know, supplementing more income throughout the summer. So I do realize how fortunate I was to even be able to have some chunks of summer, like completely off. But yeah, now that I am working with Mama Stay Fit, I am doing a lot of 
remote stuff. So I am working from home, like you said, and that, my friends, is a whole new ballgame that I think is going to be incredible when I don't have a two-year-old all up in my grill the entire time I'm trying to do literally anything. She needs to press every key. She needs to turn the light on, the caps lock button again. She needs to help me with my working. She's just very (laughs) involved. She's very committed to the company as well. And that's great. But I can do like a half a thing in like an hour's time, right? So it's just, I can now say that I get it. Like the pandemic put a lot of people in that situation. We had fresh brand new babies in like kind of the peak of that part of time for everyone. So I wasn't really working from home. Like we kind of went back that spring semester virtually, but I had a co-teacher who honestly took care of almost all of it. I just had to show up to like a Zoom call a day. The baby was sleeping. Like it was working from home with, with at that point was no sweat. But I was aware that for a lot of other people, it was really, really hard. And now I know. Now I realize it is hard. It is different. And I've officially joined the group of humans who cannot wait for school to start again. Yeah. (laughs) Which, like you said, as a teacher, all of August, you have the Sunday scaries of like, oh my God, no, school is starting again. Wait, I want to hold on to summer. But now you're like, get this kid out of my house. Exactly. I love you so much. Go to school. Yeah. (laughs) And honestly, she woke up from her nap the other day and was sitting up in her bed and I walk in the room and she goes, I'm ready to go to school now. You're like, me too, girly, me too. For real. So I think it's going to be great for everybody. I really, yeah. I, she really does love school and she loves her classroom and she loves her teachers and we're very, very blessed. And I love them for many reasons. And right now the top of that list is that they are taking her back so that I can do anything at all during the day. But in the meantime, I am already enjoying it. I am learning so much much. And you know, like I'm a super nerd. I love to learn. And now I'm learning like birth physiology and labor biomechanics. And do you need new headphones too? I'm gonna. Are you really smart now? I'm gonna any minute now. Any minute now, these are going to pop off my freaking head because (laughs) I have learned so much. So it's cool. It's a cool journey with, you know, ebbs and flows, just like anything else. There are some really tricky elements to it. There's some really exciting elements to it. Um, and there's some things to to celebrate and some things to realize that I need to make a little space to acknowledge that they're changing and that's okay. It's a little scary, but it's okay. Yeah. I'll be okay. Yeah. I just – I feel like for anyone working from home, you get it. Like you know that either you're – you feel like you're not – 100% there with your kids or you're sucking at your job. For me, we talked about it in a previous episode. I had gotten a babysitter for that beginning part of me starting my new remote job. And it is so necessary and wonderful if you can swing it. So I hi- highly recommend 10 out of 10 babysitters. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And of course, all the sympathy, empathy, understanding in the world for those who cannot swing it. Like it's just not in the cards. Or can't find someone like yeah. Either or you you're can't afford it because yeah. it's expensive, and either that or you can't find anyone because finding help that you trust and that your kid likes and that doesn't cost a kidney is really yeah. hard. Well, and then let me add one more layer on top of it. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably can relate. If you raise your kid in a certain philosophy 
it has now added this element of wanting to find somebody who gets that and respects that. Yeah. And like isn't necessarily a trained Montessorian, but is like respectful and will we'll give her choices. We'll wait a minute for her to put her own shoes on. Someone who's not going to grab her arm and yank her across the playground because it's time to go home. And I don't care if you're screaming. I'm the adult. I make the choices. Right. Like that's that's a whole thing. That's a whole new element to finding somebody else that's going to spend hours with your kid. So so yeah, it's a it is a struggle, but there's a lot of good good life stuff happening right now. So very exciting. All right. So let's move back in time (laughs) to last week and get into our topic with Gabrielle. Okay. Bye-bye. Today, we are thrilled to introduce our guest, Gabrielle. Gabrielle has her master's in child studies, her AMI primary training, and her TESOL training certification. She has taught all around the world and is owner-operator of Multilingual Montessori. We are so excited to talk to you, Gabrielle. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I was so excited that you said yes to come onto the show. I found your podcast like, how, when did you start? Um, almost a year ago. It was September. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I feel like it was almost a year ago and I was frantically searching for Montessori podcasts, which there's not a lot of us out there. (laughs) And so I was so excited to reach out to you. We had a question about bilingual parenting and you were the first person that came to my mind. I was like, please say yes. And and Rachel knows I get really nervous before I ask people to come to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, I go into our group chat and I'm like, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then I do it. And you said yes. So thank you so much for not oh. humiliating me. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I also get nervous when I invite people on my podcast, but I'm so honored. Thanks for thinking of me. And this is my first time being a guest on someone else's podcast. So I'm very excited. Well, thanks for choosing us. Yeah. Feel- honored. <laughs> so first, we would love to get to know you a little bit better. So tell us your experience was like through your own childhood education and how you kind of ended up in the Montessori world. Yeah. Okay. I, I feel like I took a little bit of a winding path to Montessori. Uh, so I grew up in New York City and I went to public school throughout elementary, middle, high school And I loved school. I was like super nerdy and into school. And I always wanted to learn another language, which I couldn't do until middle school because we didn't have that option in elementary school. But I went to elementary school in Chinatown in Manhattan. And most of my classmates spoke Cantonese. Some spoke Mandarin, but mostly Cantonese at home. And I always felt like I was kind of missing out on something that I didn't speak another language. And I grew up in Little Italy, which is next to Chinatown. And my mother's family is Italian, but her family didn't speak Italian anymore. Her mother and then her father's parents were from Sicily, but they spoke in a Sicilian dialect to each other when my mom was growing up and they didn't teach her. Um, And anyway, I don't think it was really classic Italian. It was kind of like a dialect. So my mother didn't speak another language besides English. And so I didn't either, but I always felt like all my friends in Chinatown speak in a Chinese language to their family. And I live in little Italy, but I don't speak Italian to my Italian family. Why not? So I always kind of felt like I wanted to speak another language. And then I got to middle school and I took Spanish for two years. And then I took French my last year of middle school and all of high school. But when I got to college, I started studying Italian. So I ended up majoring in Italian, which I had no idea what I was going to do with that major. 
and I studied abroad in Italy. And that was when I had my first teaching experience, if you can call it that. I kind of volunteered with an elementary school class in Bologna where I was studying abroad and did some fun like English lessons. If even that, I probably went and sang songs with them. I don't remember, but I loved working with the children there. And after college, I got my TESOL certificate which is teaching English to speakers of other languages. And the certificate program was mostly geared towards teaching adults, but it gave me a great understanding of language learning and language teaching and also really respecting different languages and cultures and, you know, not coming at it from an attitude of erasure, like you're not teaching English and also trying to get someone to not speak their native language. So I really, really liked that perspective that they offered. So after that program, I applied and got a Fulbright teaching assistantship in Italy. So I did uh, English. I, I was kind of like an English assistant. I got to go to 11 different classes in two high schools in Sicily and be the fun English teacher. I wasn't responsible for grades or anything, which was amazing. I got to go in and do pop culture lessons and songs and um, it was great. So I loved that. And so this is the point of the story where Montessori comes in. I didn't really know anything about Montessori. I had heard of it, but I got back from that year in Italy and I decided to apply to get my master's in TESOL with the intention of teaching ESL in public schools in New York. And I did the first year of that program. It was a two-year master's. And I did the first year and I felt like I knew that I liked working with children and I knew that I liked teaching English and, and everything to do with foreign languages, but I didn't like the program. And I wasn't happy with being a teacher in the public schools. I did field work in some schools and just everybody seemed so stressed out. And I went to New York City Public School. So I was like, this shouldn't be that different from what I experienced. But I didn't know if it was the fact that I came at it from a teacher's perspective or the fact that it was a couple decades later, but everything was geared toward tests. And I just didn't see myself being a part of that. And I felt a lot of guilt about that too. Like, oh, am I abandoning the public school system? Like they need great teachers. So I tried to reconcile with that. And I was trying to figure out other ways that I could be involved in education. And a friend from college who had studied museum education, so she kind of had gotten an overview of different teaching philosophies in her master's program. She was like, what about Montessori? Didn't that start in Italy? Maybe you can go to Italy and study Montessori. <laughs> I thought that Stop. was so funny. I thought you were going to say that you found Montessori in Italy. And, you were like, <laughs> and then I went back and I was like, wait. <laughs> that would have been perfect. Unfortunately, yeah. I did it. <laughs> but it's such a it's such a random connection that this one person was like, oh, Italy, Montessori, you like teaching and you like Italy. There's this thing called Montessori. I wish I had found it in Italy. But sidebar, there are not a lot of Montessori schools in Italy, and it really is not very prominent there. So I found that out later. So we had this conversation and I was like, that's a great idea. I'm going to move to Italy and, and study Montessori. So I came home, talked to my mother, and she was like, also, she was a, she's a former teacher and she was like, you know what, maybe you should work in a Montessori school 
first before you do the training just to see if you if you like it <laughs> so moms hold your horses there girly <laughs> right so that was it was the end of August and I decided to apply for a job at a Montessori school and not do the second year of this master's program so that was how I found Montessori and I was an assistant for one year in the toddler program and then one year in the children's house and I already kind of knew by the beginning of the second year when I was an assistant in children's house that I wanted to do children's house training. And so I looked into training in Italy, but the training center in Italy, the schedule is, is a little weird. It's like, I don't know if it still is, but at the time it was two summers, but they started in May and they went to July, the end of July, but the starting in May wouldn't have worked with my school schedule. And it also wouldn't have worked if I decided to leave, which is what I decided to do. I did the full year training and I did my training in London. And that's how I found Montessori. I still have not been able to combine Italy and Montessori, which was the original <laughs> idea. The original idea. Although I did uh, yeah. see that you, didn't you recently go and see the first Casa? Okay. You know what? That is true. I have been able to combine Italy and Montessori. I don't know what I was talking about. Yes, <laughs> I did. I did. I just went to the first Casa in May. And the reason I was there was because, so I moved to Austin after my training in London. And I worked at a Montessori school in Austin for three years as a children's house guide. And they go up to the equivalent of ninth grade. So their adolescent program is 12 to 15 years. And they take their full cycle adolescence to Italy every year. And this year they asked me to go along on the trip, both like as a translator and another adult, but also because there were a ton of COVID restrictions in place. So they wanted someone whose job it was to just worry about that rather than putting it on, on the other yeah. teachers as well. So I got to go to Rome and Naples with that group of Montessori adolescents. So yeah, you're right. I, yeah, That's awesome. I forgot about that. <laughs> Sidebar, what school is it? Oh, Austin Montessori School. They go from uh, like 15 months to 15 years old. I just so resonate with your story kind of about your family. So my dad's side of the family is from Mexico. And when they came to the United States, spent much of their time trying to kind of fit into the American culture. So they named his siblings like Danny and Billy and Gary, like very much trying to help them succeed. And unfortunately, during that time, in order to succeed in this country and have the quote unquote American dream, you needed to speak English and you needed to kind of fit into a certain box. And unfortunately for me, that meant that when I was born, that culture had kind of been very distant from me and that language was very distant from me. And I felt very disconnected and have spent a lot of time trying to reconnect with that culture and reconnect with that language, which is so hard to do as an adult. We don't have that absorbent mind anymore. We're not able to easily acquire this language. It's quite difficult. And and what you were saying with you not starting language until you were older, which totally, as Montessorians, it totally goes against everything we know about how children learn. Like, why are we only getting a second language when we get to middle school in this country? Yeah. Yep. 
I don't know. And so kind of one of my questions for you is, it seems like multilingualism, bilingualism, and Montessori pair really well together. What do you think that that looks like from a Montessori perspective and in a Montessori school and philosophy versus like the traditional school that I assume we all went to where it's like 20 minutes, 45 minutes in the corner, you learn your your verbs and then you leave and then you go back to your normal life. Like how can that look different from this kind of whole child perspective? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, for my ideal, if I could design all the Montessori schools, it would be to have at least two different languages present in the classroom with the adult being the source of that language. So like the resource. So, so many Montessori schools in Europe are bilingual and it just is not, it's becoming more common in the U S but it, it really isn't a part of our our culture and schooling, but a lot of Montessori schools in Europe will have an assistant who, so for example, say it's in France, maybe the lead guide is French and speaks French to the children. And maybe they have a native English speaker as the assistant or a native German speaker as the assistant. And that assistant only speaks to the children in their language. So it happens very organically. And of course, then there's the question of what language do children get their language lessons in and different classrooms handle that in different ways. But I think that the concept of a bilingual classroom for the early years is so beautiful because it, it happens very naturally because of the absorbent mind. It Children under the age of six really don't need direct foreign language teaching the way that children in the second plane and older do. Which is, I think, a fear for a lot of people, right? They say that they're afraid that it'll delay their speech. And based on, I mean, all the knowledge that you have and all of the amazing people that you've interviewed, is that true? No, not at all. Um, <laughs> that is, uh, you know, <laughs> don't get me started. Yeah. That's, it's so, it's such a common fear. And I understand it, you know. When your child is growing, you want them to hit milestones and that you can't help but compare them to other children. So if your child is learning two or more languages and you're comparing them to their monolingual peers, of course, they're not going to have the same language progression, but there's no evidence of bilingualism being related to speech delays. Of course, they can happen concurrently, but bilingualism isn't ever the cause of a speech delay. However, what happens, what we kind of see from the outside, two things. One, children go through a silent period. And, you know, this happens when babies are learning to speak too. They might not speak a word for a year, but they're understanding language. So a silent period is often present when a child is learning a second or third language. So they might not be producing words in this language at first, but that doesn't mean they're not learning and, you know, listening and paying attention. The other thing that often happens is, for example, a child who is two years old, who is exposed to English and Spanish might say 20 words in English and 30 words in Spanish, or they might say 30 words in Spanish and no words in English. And their monolingual English speaking peer speaks 50 words in English, approximately. The parent might be 
like, oh, my child's not speaking any English or my child just knows how to speak a couple of words in English, they must be behind. But actually, when you add up all those words together that the child knows in both languages, for the most part, they correlate and they'll follow. Like if you can picture a chart, they're going to follow the same progression on a chart. Uh, so that's, I think, reassuring, I hope, to parents that any word in any language counts as one of their words. You know, they don't need to speak 50 words in English and 50 words in Spanish to be at the same level of as their English speaking peers in this example. And it's also just, it's important to keep in mind that progress is not linear in everything. We talk about this a lot in all aspects of Montessori and, and working with children. Progress is not linear and you might see no outward growth for a while or what we perceive to be outward growth. And then all of a, a sudden there's an explosion of language or, or whatever skill we're talking about. So, um, did that answer your question? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. And for a lot of people, I feel like too, cause it is a fear and I've seen there's, we have a near the school that Rachel works at. There is a school that is an immersion school. And one of the fears I've heard from a lot of people is okay. If I really commit to this other language and sending my child to the school, will they then fall behind in English? Which unfortunately is kind of how our society is, is that we're focused on this one language, yeah. which other countries aren't. But you know, yeah. it's like you said, it, it's not it's not linear. They're learning still all of these words and not just that, but like the connection of these words to this culture. It's not just words, mm -hmm. you know, it is a connection to many different people around the world. So many people speak many of these languages that we're trying to learn in this country and it connects them to so many people. So it's not just about yeah how many words, you know? Absolutely. I, I, that comes up a lot on, on my podcast when I talk to people with different backgrounds. A common theme that we often discuss is how when we expose children to multiple languages, of course, it's wonderful if they are able to get different jobs or, you know, have another line on their resume, but that's not the end goal or the main purpose. The main purpose is really about a worldview and, and understanding that people live differently in different parts of the world and people have different perspectives and being able to talk to people in their own language is so, so special. So being able to go to another country and speak that language and talk to people, I think that that is really so special and such a gift to give to children and the adults that they will become someday to have that perspective and empathy, you know, in the sense that they don't see their own culture as the center that they can yeah, have this. We don't live in a bubble. Like this global understanding. Yeah. Which I think goes perfectly into Rachel's question about kind of why you started this. So why don't you go ahead, Rachel? Yeah. So can you share more about multilingual Montessori and like w how you started that and what services you offer? Yeah. So like I've said, I've always been fascinated by languages and language acquisition. And I was particularly interested in the intersection between multilingualism and Montessori and felt like those were my two areas of interest and the two areas that I had studied the most about and knew the most about, but I didn't find too many resources that were an intersection of those two spaces. So I uh, started 
on a bit of a whim in the middle of the first summer of COVID when nobody was really doing much. And I started the Instagram account as a way to really just share resources and connect with others in that space. Um, And it grew from there. And then I started the podcast almost a year ago because I, well, I love podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I also love talking to people. So I was just like, oh, I could do that too. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I love hearing people's stories. And I think that everyone has a different experience and has something to share. A lot of times the people that I interviewed are more on the Montessori side or more on the multilingualism side. You know, it's not a requirement that they have to have something to say about Montessori and multilingualism. And I think that's kind of cool. Like it, allows me to interview a broad range of people. And sometimes I feel like I'm just asking the same questions over and over, but everybody's answer is different and everybody's story is different and everybody's motivations are different. So I think that is pretty cool. And what services I offer. So I kind of got into the consultation space through Multilingual Montessori. So I've started doing consultations for parents who are interested in raising their children with two or more languages and kind of don't know where to start or have gotten into a rut. And what I most often do is I help parents design a language plan for their family. So help them figure out who's going to speak which language to their children when, depending on their own language backgrounds. Um, Sometimes the sessions are just answering questions about multilingualism and reassuring them, Um, kind of like what we were talking about before, helping dispel some of the rumors they might have heard about bilingualism not being beneficial or causing language delays, which is unfortunately so common, even from educators. You know, a lot of people say that teachers or doctors have told, hopefully not too many doctors, but people, experts have told them, well, your child's not speaking in English. Like you need to speak English to them at home. And so I help them understand that, you know, their home language is very valuable and they should continue speaking that language at home. And we come up with a plan together that works best for their family and everybody's plan looks a little different. And then I also sometimes consult with schools that are developing or restructuring bilingual education programs or mentor teachers that are in bilingual classrooms. That's amazing. That is amazing. I'd like to hire you. (laughs) But I think that you said that you feel like you're answering the same question all of the time and and saying the same things all over, over and over again in your podcast, but I feel like it must be creating such an amazing community for people who Like there are a lot of people out there that want to do Mm -hmm. this, but feel like an island. And how has that been? Have you been able to kind of create your own little community of multilingual Montessorians? I hope so. I mean, a lot of the feedback I've gotten, which is so amazing, is that it helps people feel less isolated in their journey. I think a lot of people don't have communities of people who are speaking in their native languages at home, or they don't have friends that their kids can have playdates with, or they just feel like they're the only ones trying to do this. And it's like, you know, running uphill. So I really hope that it's been able to reassure people. I don't know if I've been able to connect people to each other yet. That's a goal. I would love to do that. But I hope that through the podcast, at least some of the feedback that I've gotten is that people listen to it and feel less alone in their own 
journey of trying to raise their children bilingual or multilingual. Yeah, I feel like that's been the most difficult thing for me is one, it's already difficult to acquire a new language. And then to pass that on to your children, I've found, I mean, we live in North Carolina, like there's not a ton of diversity where we are when it comes to language. And it's really difficult to find other families and other communities that are speaking different languages. And then not only that, but if you come at it from someone that it's your second language, it's even harder because it's really intimidating to go up to people and be like, okay, I want to have a play date with you. And also I have to like speak this language that I'm not super confident in. So I feel like that's really, really amazing to create a community of people who are mindful of those things and and like, we're just, we're going to do it. Let's just do it together. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, of course I can share the research all day and share my encouragement all day. But the fact of the matter is it's difficult. It's not easy to raise children bilingual or multilingual. So I think, um, I hope the podcast also serves as a bit of a comfort to parents that, they're not the only ones that it feels hard for. Everybody is yeah. is struggling and and just doing the best that they can, you know. And there's no one right way to raise bilingual children. Every family is different. Every place that people live is different as far as the resources in their community. Um, and every child is different. So I hope that it's also reassuring to people that if they're struggling, they're certainly not alone in that either. What would you say is another like you talked about? the language delays, and then maybe not having access to other families. What What's another struggle that people have? I think another struggle, at least another misconception, is that if you haven't been raising your child bilingual from birth, that it's too late. And um, I think people feel a little discouraged maybe if they haven't started yet or if they start and their child is resistant. First of all, it's not too late if you haven't started yet or if you haven't started from birth. But it also doesn't mean that it's going to just happen as naturally as you might want it to. So I think that you have to really be clear in what your intention is. It goes back to like we talk about in Montessori, the preparation of the adult. You have to really go back to your why. Why why do you want this for your family? And then from there, keeping that as kind of like the guiding light, then you can form your family's language plan and try to stick to it. Of course, you can change it, but to not give up at the first challenge because, you know, if you've been speaking in English to your child for the first three years of life and then you want to try to speak to them in Spanish, they might resist that for a little bit. And of course, you don't have to do all or nothing. It doesn't have to be 100%, but to not, not give up when it seems difficult or if your child is understanding everything you say in Spanish, but answering you in English, that doesn't mean that you're failing and you shouldn't just give up because of that, you know, come up with strategies and figure out other ways to approach it, but to not feel like all is lost. Yeah, that's a really good tip. Okay. If we're not bilingual, what can we do to help our children? 
Oh, that's such a great question. And it's one I get a lot. And there are so many things that you can do. So that's the other thing that I think is a common misconception that it has to be all or nothing. It absolutely doesn't. Any language exposure is going to be beneficial and is going to help your child. And especially when we think of it as nurturing that understanding of different cultures and different perspectives. Also, you know, any kind of exposure to another language is wonderful. So my first response would be learn together. You can absolutely learn a language with your child. So that might look like checking out some books from the library in another language. Audiobooks are wonderful because then you're both listening to native accents. So it could even be a book that you've read, say, say it's, for example, say it's an English speaking family trying to learn Spanish. Uh, That's always my default example because one, I'm trying to learn Spanish and I don't speak Spanish, but Spanish is one of the biggest languages in our country. So that's why it's always my default example. So you could pick a story that you, your child knows in English, and then you can get the audiobook in Spanish and you can try listening to that together so that there's only one difference or one challenge. You're not trying to understand the story and the words. They're just trying to understand the words. That's one example. I would say what I think would be most helpful is to try to find a community. So even virtual play dates, but play groups, extracurricular classes, um, native language caretakers, if that's something that you have access to, finding a community in person or online, I think is really invaluable because it gives a real world context to that language. Of course, that's not going to be possible in every scenario. If you're an English speaking family trying to learn Vietnamese in an area where there are not a lot of Vietnamese people, that might be a bigger challenge than somebody who's trying to learn Spanish in an area where there are Spanish speaking people. But that's why I say try to find that community online if you can't find it in person, because you will find other people who are either trying to learn a language as well, or you might find people who are like a parent group in Vietnamese, for example, that you can join and try to participate in and then learn things that you can teach your children as well. And make it make it fun. I always say aim for conversations. And so what that might look like if you're both learning a language is you might set a timer and say for the next five minutes or the next 10 minutes, let's see if we can only speak to each other in German. And you might only say a few words in the next 10 minutes if you're both learning German, but you can try to go around the house and you see how many things that you can name in that language. Finding little games like that, even that I think is is really helpful as children are learning. And then hopefully the adults will be able to learn as well. I love that. I love that the emphasis is making it fun because like I said before, it can be really intimidating to learn a new language and then try to pass that on to your children. Or even if you already have a language that you want to pass down, that you can kind of have that stress about they're not going to, like you said, if they're only replying back in English and like they're not getting it, (laughs) they're not learning and it can be really hard not to stress about it. And so I really, I think it's good that you emphasis like it, let's make it fun because I know for me, 
as I was growing up, my family spoke Spanish. Like I heard it a lot, which like you said before, it's really beneficial to even hear those sounds as a young child. It can really help you later if you do decide to learn. But it was a lot of if it wasn't right, they'd laugh. And that was really difficult. Or it would feel kind of a little tense. And so I feel like the feelings behind it, and like you said, the why can really shine through. And I think it's perfect that you connected it to the prepared adult, because we really do need to come at it from a place of what's our why. And we want it to be a fun and beautiful thing, not this forced thing of you will learn or this I'm stressed that you're not learning because then they're going to totally reject it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I did. I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Also, I think it's so important to remember that you don't have to speak perfectly to give your child another language. That's a, a fear that I hear often. I have an accent when I speak this other language, but I want my child to learn. That's okay. Absolutely. You can still speak in a, another language that you're not fluent in or that you're not a native speaker in. But that's why it's also great to utilize outside resources and expose children to different accents in that language and to not be the sole person who's the resource if possible. So even if books and audiobooks are your other resource, that's great. Audiobooks, you know, YouTube, you can maybe like listen to the books and not watch the, I mean, of course, TV and movies and apps are great. I know some families choose only to offer screen time in the language that they're trying to teach their children, which I think is a, a cool loophole, but those can be supplemental, but it's important to really think of the interactive language input that you're offering. So I would argue that a conversation with a parent who's not a native speaker of a language is probably more beneficial than watching a TV show in another language, because although children are hearing those accents, they're not interacting and they're not using the language and they're not having this conversational back and forth, which is what we often want them to get to that point. You know, that's often the purpose of, of learning a second language. So keeping that in mind and not um, not being hard on yourself if you aren't saying everything perfect, if you're making grammatical mistakes, or if you don't have a native sounding accent, that's okay. And you're not ruining your child if you're, if you're speaking to them and, and you're not a native speaker. Yeah. And I mean, even that humility that it takes to speak another language and kind of put yourself out there like that, what a gift to give our children to... Yeah come to something as a learner. You know, that's something that we offer as Montessorians too, is that we are lifelong learners and we can show that to our children. We don't have to show up perfectly and know everything. We've talked about this on our podcast often that we don't have to know all the answers. And if anything, that's so beautiful for our children to learn. <laughs> they don't have to know everything too. And that we're always learning and we're always growing. We're always changing. And yeah. So I think that that is a gift in itself. Yeah. And I also think that then it hopefully fosters compassion for people that they'll encounter throughout their lives who are learning languages, yeah. who might not be native English speakers and who are learning English and having compassion because they know what it's like to be learning another language or their parent wasn't a native speaker of their language and, and really having that understanding that everybody's just in a different stage of their learning journey like we all are. Yeah. 
As we wrap up, where can our listeners go to find you and your content? So you can find pretty much everything on my website, multilingualmontessori.org. And you can find me on Instagram at multilingual.montessori. And um, if you search for Multilingual Montessori on any podcasting platform, you will find the podcast. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us and letting us into your little community as well. We're really excited that we got to chat with you. Oh, thank you so much. This was so wonderful. Um, I love talking to other Montessorians. I love talking about language acquisition and Montessori. So this is just wonderful. Thank you. And we hope your first guest experience wasn't too scary. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Let's finish out the show with a segment called Confessions from the Wild. And also, we are again in the future. So Laura's here. I'm back. I'm back, baby. Okay. Okay, So Laura, what do you got? All right. This one, I had to dig for a second into my my subconscious memories here and try to find one that was worthy of the show. I think I have one. So Rachel and I have had so many hundreds of thousands of playdates this summer. It was fantastic. I'm really happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) If you guys could see her face and the actual daggers flying from her eyeballs into mine, you would know that she is not. She is not happy. That was a lie. We went to a museum, a local museum that has a little cafe situation and we were there at just an awkward time. And of course I had a thousand different snacks and lunches and stuff for my child, but I had nothing for myself. So I realized I was starving and I run into the cafe and I order myself a sandwich and it's like this big old goopy pimento cheese and bacon or whatever. Like, I don't even remember what it was, but it definitely had pimento cheese and bacon and some other stuff on it. And I was super excited. So there's a whole outdoor section of the museum that we're walking through as I'm eating the sandwich. I finish it just in time to make it to the door to go inside because there's no food inside. So I'm like, yes, I'm the best. We go inside and we get ready to leave, say goodbye to Rachel and the family, go get into the car and I start driving home. And this museum's not super close to my house. So it's a it's a little drive. We're singing songs and having a great time. And I scratch my earlobe or whatever as I'm singing a song. I don't remember exactly what I do, but I know I touched my ear. And I know that because... <laughs> This is relevant because moments later, my hands are in front of me on the steering wheel, right? And I flip over my hand for whatever reason, and I see what appears to be a massive glob of earwax on my index finger, like right, like right, right by my fingernail. Cute. And I was like, oh my God, because I remember touching my ear moments ago and I'm starting to have like just a small interior panic that I need to like see a doctor because there should not be this much (laughs) wax. Is there this much wax on both of my ear? I'm touching my other ear. I'm not getting anything. There's no wax. I'm like, okay, uh, you just got to focus on driving. When you get home, you can like get a Q-tip and assess the situation. And I'm just having this whole little mini dialogue with myself about maybe my body is shutting down. Maybe there's some kind of terrible reason for all this wax to be being produced from my ear holes. And then I realize this is not earwax. This is pimento cheese. (laughs) I have globs of pimento cheese all up in my crevices of my fingernails because of my frantic attempt to shove my whole sandwich into my pie hole as quickly as humanly possible at the museum. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was 
really gross and everybody's judging me now. <laughs> but um, I don't think so because I feel like every parent can understand the trade-off that you can either be efficient or you can be clean. <laughs> That's basically <laughs> my daily trade-off is I can – get stuff done and not worry about what I look like, or I can worry about what I look like and probably not get very much done. So obviously I chose- You are not just a hot mess, but you're a hot, cheesy mess. Yeah. I was a quite a hot, cheesy mess, (laughs) quite literally. And yeah. So I just had this little earwax pimento cheese scare. (laughs) Well, you know what? I'm really- I think this should be a better confession about how healthy you are that you don't have earwax just. Yeah, maybe I should use this opportunity ears. to brag and say, yeah. guess who doesn't have globs of yellow waxy earwax? It's just cheese. So, yeah, it's cheese, guys. <laughs> it's cheese under my fingernails 40 minutes later, okay? So, uh, you're gross. How about that? You're gross. <laughs> Like it's turned into your growth. <laughs> I'm rubber and you're glue. Okay. Yeah. Clearly, again, we worked with elementary age children yeah. because I immediately go to Moral that. Moral of the story, you're all disgusting. Yeah, and maybe wash your hands after you eat a pimento cheese sandwich to avoid a heart attack 40 minutes later in the car. I love it. I love it. And I love pimento cheese. So God, happy me for you. Too. Me too. <laughs> okay. So I... I had been holding on to this one because we actually haven't recorded together in quite a while um, since before my training. So I, again, being the jet setter that I am, I was in California a few weeks ago for my sister-in-law's wedding. And um, my husband and I flew together and we flew to the wedding and then we were flying back and we were at the airport and we had a bit of time before our flight. And so we decided to get some food. And then we went to this like upper platform area where there was like rocking chairs and people could kind of hang out and wait and eat and just chill before their flight. So we were sitting there and there was a pilot that was also waiting for his flight and was a few rocking chairs away from us. And he gets up and he walks over and I should just preface this that I have a strong respect for anyone in authority or even seeming to have authority. (laughs) If you are in any kind of uniform, I immediately am terrified of you, one, and I will give you whatever you want. So anyway, he stands up and he walks over to us and as like he's deliberately walking over to us to like talk to us. So I immediately panic. And I'm in trouble. He says he says, I have to go to the restroom. Can you guys watch my bag? And my response was, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And I (laughs) immediately wanted to crawl inside of my skin (laughs) and die because I didn't even like correct myself. I just awkwardly (laughs) laughed. And then Jacob was like, yeah, we got it, man. And then he walked into the bathroom and I'm just like, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for this honor of watching your bag, sir. Did you just like salute him too as he walked away? Like just I just got on the floor and started bowing. Um, <laughs> I kissed his shoes gently before he left for the bathroom. So yeah, I just I melted with embarrassment and I immediately was like, I have to tell this to 
my global audience. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude, that's in that's in the same vein of like someone's like happy birthday, and you're like you too, you You know, like just those those like knee jerk reactions that you're programmed to have that don't actually make sense in that interaction, yeah. but they come out of your mouth and it's like, it's too late. It's and just I'm too not late. very like, especially in social situations, I'm not very quick witted. Like Jacob, if we're in line at the grocery store and someone says something like, oh, like we have a bunch of stuff like, oh, you must be having a big party. And he's like, yeah. And he like, we'll talk to them. I am immediately paralyzed and just laugh awkwardly. And then like 10 minutes later, my brain catches up and is like, you know what I should have said. This is what I should have said, yeah. but instead I'm always like, ha, 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 yeah, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just mortifying and um yeah. So but I feel like yeah, everybody's done that, right? I think. Yeah. Yeah. Is definitely. Just me saying thank you when someone asks me a question. No, I definitely I definitely have done the happy birthday, thank you, you too, or someone's like, enjoy this one specific thing that only you have. And I'm like, <laughs> you as well. Yeah, I've been there. I've definitely been there. I get, can I just take a quick second to point out that I'm pretty sure what that pilot asked you to do is like exactly what the loudspeaker is constantly not saying do. not to participate in. Like, yeah. don't let somebody you don't know ask you to watch their bag when they walk away at the yeah. airport. Dude, so illegal. So dangerous. So when I was in elementary school, I played a part in a play of a TSA agent. <laughs> what play is this? And – and I had this little song that I had to sing. Do you want to hear it? Uh, absolutely, okay. I do. So it went like this. It went, may I see your ID, please? And then the person like nodded and it was like, dur, 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 dur. did you yourself pack all of these? Dur, 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 dur. <laughs> Has anybody stranger scary given you something to carry? And they nod like, no. They're like, dur. Thank you. Next, please. <laughs> wow. First of all, I- <laughs> that's a way better song than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Second of all, the fact that you still remember it is everything to me. And third of all, what freaking play is this? Don't even tell me. I don't even want to know. Oh, you don't, I don't care. Okay. I'm past it. I'm past it. Well, I mean, it was Broadway worthy, but you don't have to worry about it if you don't care about really. If you don't care about the arts, it's if fine. If you don't care about really fine theater experiences, <laughs> then. But anyway, if he would have come to that play, he would know that giving someone something to carry is not an appropriate thing to do at the airport. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Or if he even had just ever been in an airport, he would probably know that. So I think either way, either going to <laughs> Megan's elementary school play in California years and years ago or stepping foot in an airport with the gift of hearing, you should know in either of those situations that that is not okay to ask of someone. But you know what? It all worked out. Nobody blew up. Nothing was poisoned or anything of that nature. So it worked out. All that came of it was you humiliated yourself in front of a pilot who was wearing a uniform and (laughs) scared you. And you guys got to hear my solo from my play in the fourth grade. You did promise many times that there would be singing in this episode. So I think you delivered. You delivered. Welcome. All right. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, review, and rate. We are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you could just review. (laughs) 
just you could review? Just, if you could just do that, it takes... I don't. Depending on how much you want to write, it doesn't take yeah. that long. You could just be like, "Oh my gosh," and that—that's it. You could just end it there. You could just end it at, "Oh my gosh," and we would be so grateful that you took the time. <laughs> Unless you're like these girls are—they have problems. Then you can just skip that part. Just skip it. <laughs> anyway, you can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And until next week, actually, we won't be here next week until the week after that. Stay wild. Until next time. Until the next time we. Goodbye. <laughs> Beautiful. We're just going to leave go. it. Just like that. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs>